Well, we're beginning the book of Numbers this morning. Um, but the seven chapters we have are, um, I think, are going to be pretty easy to cover. So I'm going to do a little bit longer review this morning. Uh, we haven't done that in a while. <coughs> yeah, Tracy? Okay, well, maybe if I just move closer to the microphone, that'll help too. Yeah, it's been a little while since we've done a review. We've been, we, we got, we've been having to rush a little bit to get through Leviticus. So let me start back with Genesis. Um, who wrote the book of Genesis? Moses did. And um, how many chapters is in the book? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it depends if it's English chapters or if it's Moses' chapters. And this is Moses' chapters. And each of these, except the prologue, begins with a certain phrase. And what is that phrase? These are the generations of. So uh, Moses keys us into his chapters. It's the only you know, only book we've covered so far, and it may be the only book I know of in the Bible that has that clear uh, a dis- uh, uh, an indication of the chapters. Except for Psalms, of course. That's pretty obvious. <laughs> um, so the book of Genesis, of course, begins with the creation in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And then chapter 2 starts with the history of the heavens and the earth. And we get, we get more detail prologue just kind of gives a big picture. We get more detail as uh, we find out how God created Adam and then how Adam needed a companion and how he created Eve. And then um, how it all got messed up. And all um, in the very first chapter, by the time you end the first chapter, it's the whole thing's a mess. Now, the prologue ended with an interesting phrase. At the end of chapter 1, what did we read that God saw? Yeah, He saw all that He had made and it was very good. And then by the time we finish chapter 1, the history of the heavens and the earth, we find that it's, it's pretty bad at that point. <clears throat> and then it goes down. Um, still in that first Moses chapter, it's our chapter 4, we have the first what? Yeah, the first murder. Um, we could call it the first crime. It wasn't the first sin. The first sin, of course, was when Eve ate the fruit, but it was the first crime. And it, all of this was following from the original sin. And then we got to our first boring part <laughs> as we read a list of uh, genealogies. It's a little bit of unusual genealogy. Um, uh, only there's only a couple places in the Bible I know of where it gives the people's ages in the genealogy, and this is this is one of them. The other's also in Genesis. And that genealogy, I think the main point of that genealogy is what happens at the end of each of the per- people, and what is that? And he died. Yeah, almost all who didn't die, John. <laughs> 
walked with God. Who was that? That was Enoch, yes. Um, Who's the only other person in the Bible that we read of that he walked with God? No, no, he's he didn't he didn't die, but it doesn't say he walked with God. Well, God walked in the garden, but and and I would guess that God did go for walks with Adam, but it doesn't say that. <laughs> no, you're going the wrong direction if you're going before Enoch. I'm sure he did, but it doesn't say it. It was Noah. Yeah, Noah was the other person that says he walked with God. Um, we're speaking of whom, that's what we're up to next. <laughs> Chapter 3 of Moses' book. It's the history of Noah. And, and it brings us to a new, a new method of God's dealing with humans. Um, prior to Noah, God had not struck anybody dead. Um, now they did die, but he never struck anyone dead. He had never said, "Because you sinned, I'm going to, I'm now going to kill you." But things had gotten so horrible in the days of Noah that God decided He was going to wipe out the whole human race, everyone He had created, except for the one man who had found favor in His sight, Noah, because Noah walked with God. <laughs> And Noah plus his wife plus his three sons plus three their wives made eight people. Yes, and um, so he came out of that at the end of the flood, and it, it was a new world, washed clean, washed clean of all sin except what was on the ark, which unfortunately was seed that still is with us today. Um, and God had then a new way of dealing with people after that. Uh, there were some new laws that He gave to Noah. Can anyone think of some of those? Yeah, capital punishment for what? For murder, yes. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. And we find also that animals would be afraid of man and that, that He gave man permission to eat meat. Um, a number of changes there. He also made a promise not to repeat the flood, and he gave a sign for that. And what was the sign? The rainbow. So a lot of new things we find in, in this story with with Noah. Noah in, becomes a sh- one of one of many types or shadows of Christ in, in the Old Testament, um, as he he's kind of he's the founder of this race the whole everyone on earth today is descended from uh, from Noah and then we have the history of Noah's sons which again shows us that the sin problem has not been solved uh, and one of the things we find in the Old Testament is God does a number of things that, that humanly speaking we would say that ought to solve the problem and, and none of them do um, and what do we find in in this story of Noah's descendants that shows us a sin problem hasn't been solved? Well, now that's true. I wasn't thinking of that in, in Noah's own um, own time. He planted the vineyard, got drunk, and and then um, his son Ham saw his nakedness and behaved 
disrespectfully toward him. But I'm thinking of something that ends up bigger on the world stage. Yeah, the Tower of Babel, when, when they let's build us a tower that, whose height will reach into heaven, and they didn't want to be scattered abroad on the face of the earth, and God wasn't going to He wasn't going to have that. He told them to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. So what did he do to solve the problem there? Yeah, confuse the language. Of course, that's not solving the underlying sin problem, but it is preventing humans from uniting in a, in a big world empire in opposition to God. Um, and it leaves room for God to do His work in a very unusual way, as we will see. And that begins with the next chapter of, of Moses' book. So the, the history of Shem's family. Really, it's the history of who? Yeah, Abraham, who was, of course, the son of Shem. And this was... God, God was doing a new thing here. He was taking one family out of all the earth and separating them from from everyone else and working with them and training them to raise them up to be a family that would... Well, what he told Abraham was, in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. It was, it was the, his ultimate plan to get to solve the sin problem. Though it took a lot longer than what Abraham might have imagined. Um, I told you wrong. That wasn't. I, I was thinking of Tiber. Abraham was Tiber's son. Shem, Shem, the history of Shem's son was really um, just a few names in a list. Um, then uh, we find Ishmael. Small piece here. Of course, he wasn't. He wasn't part of the original plan that God had in mind for Abraham. Isaac was the original plan, and then. Um, and we go through various adventures with these these sons and grandsons, how they got their wives, um, how they dealt with the people around them, how they lied when they dealt with the people around them, unfortunately. Um, and we finally end up with uh, Jacob as being the last one in the individual list. Um, we had Abraham first. He had more than one son, but his, his son Isaac was picked out as the one. Then Isaac had more than one son, but his son Jacob was picked out as the one. Jacob had more than one son. In fact, how many sons did he have? Twelve, yeah. And of those twelve, one would, will be picked out, but the story does not focus on that one. For the rest of the Old Testament, the fo- story focuses on all twelve, the descendants of, of Jacob, whose name was changed to... Israel, yes. The chart we had for those descendants. This is what I was talking about where you had the choice and God kept narrowing down each time. Um, now that, that really was going on from the days of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had three, uh, three named sons. And, we f- and of course Abel didn't have any children so we don't follow him. But 
we follow the descendants of Cain first, and then we come back and follow the descendants of, of Seth. And uh, throughout the story of Genesis, we always follow the this, this story, the descendants of the wrong one first, to get them out of the way, and then get back to the right one. So you, you'll read about Ishmael, and then you go back and read about Isaac, and then you read about Esau's descendants, and you go back and read about Jacob. Jacob ended up with two wives and two um, concubines, although they had the legal status of wives. They weren't, I mean, they weren't what people today mean by concubines. Um, and, and out of that, he got um, a total of 12 sons. Most of them, you see, from, the, from his first wife, Leah. The second wife he married just a week later. She was the last one to have children, Joseph and Benjamin. And then, um, I forget which one of these was married. Was, one of these was a servant of Leah, the other was a servant of Rachel, so the, they, got a, they were attached that way. But I, I know how to find out. I've got another chart. Um, yeah. yeah, Zilpah was the servant of Leah. And Bilhah was a servant of Rachel. Um, so the, these children have a lower status in the family because they don't come from the full wives. Um, and the oldest was Reuben. However, Reuben didn't get the, the birthright. Why not? Yeah, he, he, committed, he, he committed adultery. He, he slept with, with Bilhah, his, his father's concubine. Um, and Simeon and Levi didn't get it either. What, why didn't they get the birthright? Yeah, they, they, they did a very deceptive, uh, cruel thing and wiped out the, uh, the whole population of, of uh, Shechem. Um, and the people had, I mean, one guy in Shechem had committed a crime, certainly, but um, their father recoiled in horror at what they had done. And so the birthright finally fell to the fourth son, Judah. He was the one who was given the promise that from him the, the uh, Messiah would come. It's not in those words, but that was effectively what uh, his father promised him when he gave the blessing there at the end. And then Issachar and Zebulun are two other of her six. And we're going to look at these same names again uh, in this morning's lesson in, in the book of Numbers. So that's our review of, uh, of Genesis. At the end of Genesis, the story is left hanging. <laughs> um, Joseph makes his brother's promise what? Yeah, take his bones back with him. He knew God was going to take them out and take his bones back with him. But he died in Egypt and he was put in a coffin. I assume he was mummified. That's what they did. And... I don't know that even he would have guessed just how long he was going to be in that coffin before he got taken back. But for however long it was, and we know it was several hundred years, that coffin there would have been a reminder to his brethren, one of these days we're going back. Um, and so we begin the book of Exodus, and I couldn't find my outline of Exodus. I don't know what I did with it. but um, So the best I can do is plagues on Egypt. Um, 
when, when Exodus begins, we find in the very first chapter that the status of uh, the descendants uh, of Jacob has changed a lot, and they've become slaves. And uh, the Pharaoh is trying to wipe them out, at least cut down on the population. I guess he didn't want to completely wipe them out, or else he'd lose his slaves. But he, he didn't want quite as many as what they were becoming. And uh, so in the process, Moses got tossed in the river like was commanded, except that Pharaoh hadn't mentioned the basket <laughs> that he was in. And God adopted and raised him with the wisdom of Egypt. And then when he tried to start a rebellion, which is the way Stephen takes it in, in Acts chapter 7, then um, that didn't it backfired on him. He had to leave Egypt. And so for the next 40 years, he raised sheep until God sent him back, this time in the power of God, not in the power of man. And he's going to rescue the people. Uh, and we have these ten plagues, which were God's way of telling Egypt it was time to let the people go. Um, and of course, God's goal in it was more than just getting their attention. God's goal was the glory of God. He had... <laughs> one of the few people that I think you could ever find on the face of the earth who would be as stubborn as Pharaoh was um, to watch as his, as his country was systematically destroyed by one plague after another and still hold out until finally the last plague hits his very family and he, he decides this is enough and sends them out. But we find these plagues come in sets of three. What's different about each third plague? It's in red. Yeah. Thank you, Tracy. <laughs> yes, each of those three came without any advance warning. Warning, water is going to be turned into blood. Warning, frogs are going to come. No warning, gnats just show up. Warning, we're going to send insects. Warning, we're going to send cattle disease. And then boils just show up. And the hail of the locusts in the same way, the darkness for three days just shows up. And then this final one that stands by itself, that was the one that was um, was going to succeed. And that out of that final plague came what feast? The feast of the Passover, which we talked about quite a bit again in the book of Leviticus. They had some more instructions about that. And after the Passover was a seven-day feast called Feast of Unleavened Bread. Yeah. And at that first Passover they did something that I don't think they repeated at the others they did something with a product of the animal they were eating and what was that the blood they, 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 they dipped hyssop in the blood and sprinkled on the two doorposts and on the lentil over the top and that told God to do what Passover. pass over the house and not kill the firstborn yeah around yeah, did they eat the Passover standing up on the firstborn um, I don't think it said to st- be standing up. It said to be to have their shoes on and their staff in their hand. But I don't think it said anything about um, whether they were allowed to sit down or. I don't even know how they ate back in those. I don't know in Jesus' day they ate lying down, but I don't know what it was back then. I, I will suggest that for slaves, it probably wasn't in normal slave meals would not have been a 
a leisurely <laughs> uh, feast like the Egyptians would have been enjoying. But this one was in their house. In fact, they were commanded nobody can go out of the house. During they're, they're all to stay in the house until God gave them the, the word. And of course, Pharaoh said go, and they went. And um, that lasted a, a few days until he saw them wandering around, uh, and he figured they were lost in the wilderness. Only where did they happen to be at that point? Yeah, they were closing by the Red Sea. <laughs> and so Pharaoh and his army arrived to take them all back. We want our slaves back. And God caused an east wind to come up and open up the water and the Israelites walked through all night they were walking through until the morning when the God moved his cloud so that the Egyptians could follow and in they went and water came back and that was the end of his army. And so for the rest of Exodus, we have, we have various adventures, um, typically involving uh, Israelite complaints <laughs> and God's response. Um, that we've got complaints about water and uh, how did God provide water for them? Yeah, from the rock. They complained about food and how did God provide food for them? What is it? Yeah, yeah. He provided food in actually two ways. The first way was was quail, but that was just a one-time thing. And then, um, I think that's a different. I think that's a different set of quail, but I may be mistaken. Does anyone not remember now? Oh, he he was saying that was the one where they got killed for because they were greedy over the quail. But I'm thinking that's a later quail. I think this one they just got to eat, and but I'm, whether this one was the one where they got killed for eating the quail when they were greedy. Yeah, all right, we'll have to look it up. But the manna was one that, of course, they got how many days a week? Six days a week. Was of course the sixth day giving enough for the seventh day as well. And then the last part of the book of Exodus about a third of the book really is all about one thing and what is that? The tabernacle. How to build for you know, a bunch of chapters how to build the tabernacle and then a bunch of chapters while they build it. And I want you to look at the very last chapter of of Exodus. Because we're going to jump from there, we're going to skip Leviticus. I'm not going to review Leviticus. It's fresh on our minds from last week. Um, but at the very the very last chapter of Exodus, what do what happens? Uh, I don't think they moved it. Um, oh, okay. Yes, that that was that part is just kind of a general summary of everything to come. But I'm looking at the last actual event that happens in the story. They erected the tabernacle, and the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That's how the book of Exodus ends. The tabernacle is now built. And God 
inhabits the tabernacle because it was intended to be a place for his dwelling. Now, turn to Numbers chapter 7, I think it is. Um, When the tabernacle was built, they were at Sinai. Now, later on, they put the tabernacle at Shiloh, but it's going to be decades before they get there. Um, Look at the first verse of number (laughs) 7. Did you notice that when you're reading? Now on the day that Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle. Whoa. Hey, we just skipped the book here. <laughs> so, you know, we've been off studying the book of Leviticus. Meanwhile, nothing has happened. <laughs> and Numbers picks up right where Exodus leaves off. Um, well, what about all the events that happened in Leviticus? Yeah, that was a trick question. <laughs> Not much happened. How many things happened in Leviticus? Only two things. Two stories. It's just, it's not a storybook. It's a book of law. So, yeah, we could could study it for several weeks, but when we get done, we haven't really covered any history. But numbers were back to history. And in fact, does anyone know how many years of history the book of Numbers is going to cover? In round numbers, 40 years. In fact... um, 38. <laughs> um, because we've already had two years. We, they've, Exodus covered the first two years in the wilderness. And so we've got to look at an outline of numbers now. Yes. In numbers, is the story about wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Is that in numbers? Yes, right. That's exactly what it is. Um, and lots more. I mean, very familiar stories. You, you, you read the book of Numbers, you'll say, oh yeah, I know that story. That's a great story. I like this one and that one. Um, it's, it's not like Leviticus, <laughs> which is almost like a foreign language. Um, so our author here has divided the book into three sections. Section one, preparations for the march from Sinai which is what we're in this, this morning. And next week, half, half of next week's lesson, we'll cover this as well. Then the history of the wanderings of Israel. And so they, this, very early on they find out this is going to be a lot longer than they thought. That's their own fault. And then the 38 years kind of get jumped over. I mean, just a couple verses. And we, cut, we come to the end of this wandering and then finally, section three, it says events that occurred east of the Jordan. That's when they're done wandering. They finished the 38 years and they're just waiting to cross the Jordan. And, and so we have a bunch more chapters there at the end that cover that. Um, and what's, what, of course, is primarily missing is what they did during the 38 years. They just sat around waiting for everyone to die. Um, so the first two chapters are the numbers and the arrangements of the tribe. So let's look at that. Um, they they counted them by what? They divide them up into what? Tribes. tribes, yes, by tribes. So, how many tribes got counted? Uh, well, 
a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not really a trick. They counted 12 tribes, but they left one out. <laughs> How can you count 12 tribes and leave one out? <laughs> Joseph got two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh, and they just and from this point forward they're counted separately. And um, so, and they left out which tribe? Levi. Why they leave them out? They were the priestly tribe. They were in charge of the tabernacle. But it seems like you could still count them. I mean, what? Why are they counting? That's the point. This counting is not just you know. Let's find out how many people we have. This is a war count. They're counting. They're counting soldiers, and so they count them from what age and up? Twenty. Twenty. Twenty and up. And how many do they finally get when they add them all up? <laughs> yeah, six hundred and three thousand. And you, you may you may have noticed that all of the all the counts in here are are appear to be rounded to the nearest ten. Um, there, I don't think there's any count lower than um, lower than that in the chapter. So they end they end up with six hundred three thousand five hundred and fifty. Chapter one, um, and this may reflect back on what. Um, Jethro had recommended to Moses back in the book of Exodus when he saw Moses was being overtaxed by his judging, said get leaders and appoint them over thousands, over hundreds, over tens, so that when they would... And, and, and that was a military division was what that was. And so when they would count them, they would count you know, how many tens do we have, how many hundreds do we have, and so forth. So they had 603,550, not counting the Levites, who didn't go to war because they were devoted to the, the service of the tabernacle. Then, still on this topic of um, an army arrangement, chapter 2 covers what? Yeah. Yes, positioning, arrangement of the of the camp. And this is a diagram of it. Now I have to warn you that the lines are imaginary lines for the most part. Um, they didn't put up fences and all that. But this is the arrangement. What's at the very center of the camp? The tabernacle. Yes, with the cloud over the over the tabernacle, and and it's. If you could imagine, in in an ordinary army of those days, the king would be the guy leading it, or Pharaoh. And when they would camp, of course they would put him in the middle and they would put all the army around it because their, their, go, their job is to guard the, the, the king. Well, king in this case is God, and he's in the very center. The list starts on the east side, and this is called the camp of Judah. Judah was in, they, it was, Judah was ahead of it. And the three tribes of Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, all three were the sons of which wife? Yeah, Leah. That's right, the first one. Then we go to the south. Reuben is in charge of, of these, and it's Reuben, Simeon, and Gad. 
Reuben and Simeon were both the sons of Leah. Um, there's one other. There were six sons of Leo, but Gad was not the sixth one. Who was the sixth one that we've left out? Levi. Levi. And of course, Levi's going to camp in the middle here. He's not going to get camped around. So um, Reuben's group picks up one, one son of Leah's servant. So this was Gad. Then on the west side, Camp of Ephraim, who are these descendants from? Which wife? Rachel. Rachel, yes. The second of the full wives. Um, and Benjamin was her younger son. Manasseh and Ephraim were both sons of who? Joseph. Joseph. And that's how we, we ended up with 13 instead of 12 tribes. Then finally on the north side, the, those three are all three uh, sons of the concubines. In the middle, th this, this border here is a real fence. That, that was a, a linen uh, fence all the way around the area of the tabernacle, but all the other lines are, all, are imaginary. <laughs> um, to the east, and the gate, of course, uh, of the tabernacle was on the east. To the east is Moses, Aaron, and his sons. Aaron and his sons were what? Priests. They were from the tribe of Levi. But there were lots of Levites who weren't priests. And they were divided into three divisions. Um, Kohath, Gershon, Merari uh, were all three sons of Levi. But they weren't priests. They still had a job to do that was a priestly type job, but it wasn't, they weren't priests. What, what, was, what were their jobs? Yeah, Ralph? I would say sacrificing. Well, now you're right. That's not in this. That's not in this story. But they they did help with the sacrifices in in the temple later on. Um, in fact, when you come to the temple, the job they were assigned here doesn't even exist anymore. And they were given different jobs. They had jobs like uh, guarding the temple, or or they had they some of them were singers. They they did they had choruses in the temple, um, but what do they do here in the book of Numbers? Yes, each of these groups had a different job to do in moving the tabernacle. Now the tabernacle was a tent, but it was not any ordinary tent. I mean, this thing was enormous. In I mean, enormous in terms of tent size, uh, like taking a circus tent or something. Uh, and, it, and it had wooden walls uh, with you know silver bases and and and, and this whole fence around around here was it had bronze bases for the for the posts and the, I mean we're talking about a lot of material and and even and the furniture inside the tabernacle which is not on this drawing like this isn't done right to scale because this the most holy place of there is a square as you, as you view it I didn't draw this <laughs> but it'd be worse if I had <laughs> uh, but the furniture inside there was was heavy furniture um, the, 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 the lampstand, seven branch lampstand, was solid gold, one talent of gold. Well, a talent weighs about 75 pounds. I mean, that's, we're talking about a lot of weight for, for these people to carry around. And, and you've got the altar out here, you have the, the laver, the wash basin, a lot of things to carry. And, and that's what their job was to, 
carry these things, pack them up, and when they get to the other place, unpack them. The um, We've got time to cover this, and it's interesting. When it was time to break camp, um, which, which tribe would move out first? Judah. Yeah. Judah and the two tribes with Judah would move out first. Then what comes next? Reuben and his tribes come out next. They're, they're, they're marching in order of war. I mean, this is all carefully arranged. Then what comes after Reuben's group? That's when they move the tabernacle. Yeah. So the whole time that these, these first two groups are, are, are getting on the march, moving out, these groups here are really busy. <laughs> because by the time the, the Reuben group is gone, they've got to be all packed up and ready to go. And what's the first thing they do when it's time to, to take things down? What's the first thing that happens? Who does that? Uh, you're close. The priests. Yeah. The, the Levites. This is very interesting because the first thing to be done, when, I mean, you would think, I mean, think about it. The, the Ark of the Covenant, who's the only person who ever gets to even see the Ark of the Covenant? The high priest. So now it's time to take down the tabernacle. How do you take this thing down without other people seeing it? What they did, the, they, the priests went in. And there was a, a curtain, a veil, in between the, the, uh, the first room, the holy place, and the second room, the most holy place. They would take the curtain down and put it over the Ark of the Covenant. And, it, and you can see, it, it, would be, it would not be difficult at all to do that in a way that you would not see the Ark of the Covenant. All you see when, is when it's done, you see it's covered up. And then they had something else to put over it. In, in fact... With all of these, I think with every one of them, the what? Yes, blue cloth. And then yours says badger skin. I forget what mine says. I don't think it says that. But it was some kind of a, 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 a more of a weatherproof type covering. And they did the same thing for the three items of furniture in the, uh, in the holy place. They would, no one was allowed to see those either, only the priests. So the priests go in, they put the blue cloth over, they put the next cloth over it. When everything's covered up, then they go out and they tell the, the Levites, okay, now it's your turn. Oh, they, the one other thing I, I left out, they also put in the poles, which the, the Levites would use to carry. Now, which of these three groups of Levites were the ones who did the carrying? Well, no, no, each of these has thousands of people in them. Koath, Gersh, and Mar, each of those has thousands. One of these was K, the other ones are broken down. And I thought the other two carried different things. The sons of Kohath were the ones who carried the things that were inside the tabernacle. Yeah. Now, they didn't carry all of the tabernacle. They were only carrying things like lampstand, the table of showbread, the altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant. And they all had poles, so that you didn't actually touch the furniture itself. You just you carried the poles, and they put they put the poles on their shoulders, and off they went. And that, and that was the way they carried the furniture of the of the tabernacle. But the other parts of the tabernacle, these other two groups 
uh, were in charge of, and I don't remember the division of those two groups, they got to use something in addition to carrying them on their shoulders. And what was that? Oxen and carts. Yes, there were, there were these carts that were pulled by two oxen each, a total of six carts. And into those carts they would put you know, all the curtains of the tabernacle, all the boards, um, the, uh, the, the uh, linen fabric around the edge, the, the poles for the fabric, the bronze bases for these poles, you know, put these in, in the carts. They, they had a lot, all these people had a lot of work to do, but by the time the second group has moved out, they're ready and out they go, carrying the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders and these other things on their shoulders and then the carts coming after them. And then after that comes the camp of Ephraim, and finally last comes the camp of Dan. It's a military march. It's an army going through the wilderness, and it's now arranged in order. It's not just a, a rabble, a, a bunch of slaves just kind of wandering around. They're they're organized to um, to be uh, an army for God. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about chapter five. This is this is kind of it's sort of in here in a kind of random order. Yeah, John. Before we break from that, if you add up the numbers of the tribes, it's interesting you get like an aerial picture. The much larger mass towards the east, 186,000 plus, and the opposite side of that is the smallest, 108,000, and then the two wings are about equal. All right. Yeah, although that's going to change. By the time we're done with the 38 years of wandering, the, the numbers have changed quite a bit. The total stays almost the same, but the individual tribes change a lot in their proportion to one another. The point, of course, is that aerial view that looks like a cross on the side. Well, okay. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit I'm going a little bit over, but I started late. I'm, I'm, I did want to cover this adultery test. I thought that was interesting. Um, and it has to do with defilement. And, and the reason it's in here is just we're still talking about holiness and, and purity, how to deal with the Lord's things. But um, at the beginning of the chapter, God tells him to send out of the camp everyone that is what? Everyone has any defilement. Yeah, they had to stay outside the camp. I mean, they were still part of the people, and they still traveled with them, but they didn't live inside the camp. Um, and this is all, all part of arranging the camp in, in its arrangement around the tabernacle. And then you have this strange thing, this adultery test, and I think it's connected with defilement. And it, it's the case where you have a man who, who suspects his wife has committed adultery on him. He's cheated. She's cheated on him. But he can't prove it. He might be right, he might be wrong, and God has set up a way to where he can find out, which is a blessing for two people. It's a blessing for him. He doesn't have to go on with suspicion. He can find out. It's a blessing for his wife if she's innocent. She doesn't have to have a wife who, who suspects him of something that she hasn't done. And so this is not a minor thing. I mean, he, he has to take an offering of, of, of grain, and, and he brings her to the priest, and they go through this elaborate ceremony and, and the priest uh, makes her take an oath that she's been faithful to her husband and he, he writes the curses down on a, on, on a piece of skin and then he 
scrapes the ink off into the water and he puts some of the dust from the floor of the tabernacle in the water and he makes her drink it. And what's going to happen after that? (laughs) It depends. (laughs) If she's innocent, what's going to happen? Nothing. She's fine. If she's guilty, her thigh is going to waste away. Uh, I think it said her belly's going to swell up. I mean, it just it sounds pretty awful. Um, so, at the end of it, and I don't know how long it takes for this to happen. I mean, because um, we have no record later of this ever being used. Although I wouldn't doubt that it was used, because we don't have any record of most of the laws being being done. But at the end of it. Either she's guilty and the man found out and solved the problem that way, or else she's innocent. And now he's satisfied that you know he, he was suspicious, but she hadn't done anything wrong. And she, and she can conceive children. That's right. Which which was the one of their highest goals for for these women in Israel because they were all hoping to have the Messiah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, yeah, we talked about that when we were doing the book of Leviticus. Um, that they they might have grown some of it in the wilderness, uh, but there were also traders that would come through and they could buy from them. Uh, but this law is for not, for more than just in the wilderness. This law is going to go for all of their history. Um, but yeah, you could get some. They didn't have enough to eat every day, but they would have enough to at least make offerings to God. Um, and it would it, this would serve to keep the camp pure. Yeah, I mean, you, you can think, you can imagine the damage that you would have when you have suspicion that, and no one, the woman can't free herself from the suspicion, the man can't prove the suspicion. God solved the problem, and and he, pro, and he was able to keep the people pure in that way. Well, I've got to stop. Any um, any questions before we close out? Next week, there's lots more stories. <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't be doing nearly as much review because we'll have to move along. Appreciate everyone's help.